Well, good morning. As always, it is a privilege to get to open up the word for us. And my name is Ian. I'm the student pastor here at Eagle Church. And like Hunter said, Eric is not here this morning. This time, he is not in Florida. You might remember that the last couple of times he's been gone, he's been in Florida. And he realized it's starting to look bad that he's always in Florida. So he thought he would change it up, but he's a little confused because this time he's in Arizona, where, of course, it's a balmy 90 degrees. Moving on, can anyone tell me what February 14th was? Yes, Valentine's Day, also known as Singles Awareness Day. All the single people in the room know what I mean. But yes, February 14th was Valentine's Day, but can someone else tell me what else happened on February 14th this year? Yes, man, you guys are good. It was Ash Wednesday, and we had our second ever Ash Wednesday service here at Eagle Church. And Eric there kicked off a new series called The God-Soaked Life. Now, February 14th was a long time ago. A lot has happened since then. The Pacers made it into the playoffs. A little round of applause for them. Game, game seven today. Um, it snowed numerous times. So that's, that's bad news. And um, we hired a new middle school director. We can give Brad a round of applause, yes. And then we had Scott Granati donate a kidney to Sharon Swathwood, which also deserves a round of applause. A lot has happened and can happen in two and a half months. February 14th to April 29th. And Eric's done an amazing job, and Justin too, of teaching Colossians to us, right? Explaining the text, laying out application, giving us background. So we have been taught well how to live a God-soaked life. A couple weeks ago, I was in San Diego for vacation. It was an amazing trip, and while we were at La Jolla Beach, I decided that I wanted to go kayaking. So in a second, I'll get into what made it difficult um, to get out onto the water. But once I was out in the Pacific, oh yeah, that's me, getting ready to go. It was weird when you ask a total stranger to take your picture, but she was real nice. So this is me getting ready. And once I was out there, I got to see some amazing things like pelicans, seals, and dolphins all up close. And it was amazing. But a little confession. For me, the guy from Chicago, when I first saw the dolphins, thought they were sharks. (laughs) Like my pride would have been hurt had I started shouting, which was the plan. But thankfully, figured it out. Then the pelicans. Pelicans are beautiful, but they're beautiful from far away. I see them flying towards me. Next thing you know, they're getting in formation. Next thing you know, they're dive bombing to my kayak, right? Very intimidating. It was all I could do to restrain myself from like smacking them with a paddle. And then the the seal thing. La Jolla Beach is really well known for their seals. And so the guy who rented me the kayak said, the seals are going to be like far away on the rocks. You're not supposed to even get near the rocks because the waves are going to crash you into them. And so I was like, I'm all good. Well, next thing you know, there is a lone seal hunter hunting right by my kayak. Now, I used to think that seals were cute. Uh Uh-uh. Not anymore. Seals are ugly, and they're scary. But the hardest part of this whole experience was just getting the kayak out into the water because the waves are choppy. It's just a single-seater. I'm pushing out to sea all by myself, and I get soaked, right? Because it was a windy day, I'm afraid I'm going to tip over, the water is freezing, and when all was said and done and I'm finally out in the safety of the ocean, I am completely soaked. 
Now, since we've been in this series for two and a half months, I thought about it. And I was like, this is the picture. This is the image of what we've been after, the God-soaked life. For me, you know, the water, it definitely changed in my state. It gets everywhere. You look different. But that's what we've been after for these two and a half months, to be infused and drenched by the Spirit. Which brings us today to a point of reflection. Are we more God-soaked today than we were two months ago? Are we more God-soaked today than we were two months ago? Now, the question is not have we had Colossians taught to us clearly. Eric has been faithful in his preparation and delivery. So that is not the question. But are we, Eagle Church, more God-soaked today than we were two months ago? Now, as we reflect, a little bit of advice. Remember, this is for you. And all I mean by that is don't look at the person next to you, especially if it's your spouse, and be like, you have definitely not gotten more God-soaked. Nope. (laughs) We're all in this together. Our goal has never been to know Colossians. You know, not the point. But our goal has and is to be God-soaked. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We recognize you as alone being worthy of all worship and adoration and praise. Lord, we thank you for this letter and for the time that we spent learning what it is to be God-soaked. But Lord, I pray this morning that as we reflect, we would each hear a specific word from you. Lord, I trust and believe that there is a word you have for everyone here. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that I would say that is not of you, people wouldn't hear it, that they wouldn't remember it. But if there's anything that would be said that is straight of you, that is of your spirit and directly from your word, I ask that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Lord, meet us in this place. I praise you because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So the section of Colossians we're in is a bit different. I think you'll see what I mean. So we're just going to rip that band-aid right off. This is Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church and her house. After this letter has been read to you, 
see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) I bet now some of you are like, man, today would have been a good day to sleep in. We tend to speed read these sections. They don't exactly strike us as having a lot of depth. But all scripture is God-breathed, is it not? There we go, yeah. And this final portion of Paul's letter is no exception. There are 12 people in this passage, so I have 12 points for you this morning. (laughs) Just kidding. Y'all should have seen the look on your faces. (laughs) Here's what we're going to do. Four people, four questions all stemming from, are we more? So first, are we more aware of how God is moving? And I need your guys' help throughout the morning. So say, aware of how God is moving. Aware of how God is moving. Nice. Are we more? Very good. Colossians 4, 7 through 8. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So this guy Tychicus was aware of how God was moving. He delivered the letter. He's from Ephesus and was a companion of Paul on one of his mission trips. So as I was studying, I was struck by what I learned was expected of someone who delivered a letter like this. He was not just a mailman. This was a personal delivery made by someone who was intimately familiar with its contents. So think less postal service and more ambassador. And it was assumed Tychicus would be able to answer any question the Colossians had about Paul's work. After all, he was sent so Christians would be aware and be encouraged. But this is, you know, 2,000 years ago. He couldn't get onto Instagram and come across the Ephesian news feed and be like, oh, look what that church is doing. Like, that looks really cool. He knew because he himself was all in. Paul describes him as dear brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Side note, make sure that you have people in your life like that. Dear brothers and sisters, faithful ministers, fellow servants in the Lord. That's the together of more together every day that we talk about. So make sure that you have those people. No wonder Tychicus was aware of how God was moving. No wonder he could represent it to others. This guy had bought in. Now we're aware of what's In the news, we're aware of what's going on in our families. We're aware of how our favorite sports teams are doing. Why? Because we care. You know, it matters to us. I'm always so impressed by people who can rattle off stats about their favorite team. And it's because they care. People take an interest in the things they care about. So follow me, a measure of our God-soakedness is our awareness of how he's moving because it reflects what we care about. If we don't have 
up-to-date talking points about how God is moving in us and around us, then maybe we're not more God-soaked yet. On the whole, though, I'm so encouraged by our church, by you all. We had over 50 people in the last two membership classes. That's people taking next steps, getting involved, becoming more aware of how God is moving. But are we aware like Tychicus was? Do we have God's stories from kids' lives, students' lives, adult lives? Could we talk accurately about our local and global partners? Do we have a sense of how God is stirring in us? So are we more aware of how God is moving? Number two, are we more prayerful? Say prayerful. 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 Are we more? This is good. Just so you know why we're doing this, you know, we learn well when we say things out loud. Repetition is good. So number one, are we more aware of how God is moving? Yep. And number two, are we more? Excellent. Colossians 4. 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras was prayerful. He was a native Colossian, He was someone Paul had led to Christ and was now a church planner. Much like Tychicus, Epaphras was aware of how God was moving. And Paul describes him as always wrestling in prayer. Now, my dad was a wrestler when he was in high school, and he would often, you know, show us kids some of the techniques, some of the moves. And I'll have you know that I was recruited to the wrestling team my first day of high school. It had something to do with needing more people in the lowest weight class. And I did go to practice once. This is a picture of me back in the day. No wonder they wanted me on the team. It was like, I'm in trouble. I've lost a lot of muscle mass. Not good. Wrestling takes discipline. It's hard work. To get better, you have to do it every day. And the illustration speaks to a very real opponent. Paul describes Epaphras' prayer life as wrestling. Then he uses that word always, always wrestling in prayer. Now, some of us don't like that. We like to think that Paul was exaggerating. He can't possibly mean like always got to sleep, got to drive. <laughs> but perhaps our view of prayer is too small. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Did Paul exaggerate there too? The great thing is prayer doesn't have to look a certain way. You can pray about anything, anywhere, at any time. I love when people have prayer closets at home. I've even built myself one. But you can pray anywhere, anytime, about anything. A God-soaked life is a prayerful life. And hopefully that sounds familiar. Pastor Eric taught us that. Epaphras prayed for believers to stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured, sounds like he's praying for them to be God-soaked. So in full disclosure, of all the things that we're talking about today, this is the hardest one for me. 
like hands down, and it's pretty, pretty humbling. I do pray quite a bit, but I don't think people would look at me and say, he always wrestles in prayer for others. And I'm not okay with that. There have been times in my life where I haven't prayed at all, maybe where I've allowed the good things that God gives me, like a strong Christian community, and it becomes ultimate things where I'm finding myself going to people instead of going to God. And then there's other times where I find myself praying more, but it's all about me. There's a whole lot of, God, help me find success. Help me to accomplish this. Help me get through it. And there's not a whole lot of, God, help Eric, help Kyle, help Justin, help Julia, help Brad to stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. This is what I've noticed in me. My prayer life expands when my eyes are on Jesus. It has everything to do with what I'm looking at. So Paul instructs us to pray. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians 4.3, pray. Colossians 4.4, pray. Is that really all that helpful? I'm just being honest. To be told to pray, helpful? It's like, Paul, tell me something I don't know. We all know. Even people who don't follow Jesus know that we should pray. But if we look at Jesus, like look at him and focus on Christ, that'll change our prayer life. If we let things like this from Colossians 2 to soak in. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And we have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. And he has forgiven all of our sins. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Like that's the gospel. That's the good news that changes everything. One of my favorite quotes is that the gospel is first and foremost for the believer. It's a little bit weird. You're like, well, no, the gospel is for lost people. Yeah, it is. But the same power that raises Jesus from the dead, the same power that saves us from our sin, is the same power that helps us Christians live the God-soaked life that we've been called to. Our view of prayer directly affects our prayer lives. So when our view of Jesus is this big, we'll pray this much. But when our view of Jesus is this big, we will pray this much. So are we more prayerful? What was number one? Are we more? We're going to try that again. I kind of got it. Number one, are we more? Wonderful. Number two, are we more? And then number three, are we more engaged in our calling? Say, engaged in our calling. Engaged in our calling. Are we more? Colossians four seventeen. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Archippus was engaged in his calling. Now the word calling, it's kind of a churchy word. And there's two categories. There's a broad general call and then a personal one. An example of the general call, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to go into all the world, to proclaim Jesus and baptize people. General call. But then we have 
also a personal call. Now, when I read Colossians 4.17, I would have thought that Paul meant the general call. And we really don't know much about Archippus. But some scholars believe that that phrase, in the Lord, implies that Archippus' work was his spiritual gift or his personal calling. Now, as a pastor, so I'm comfortable with both interpretations. He was responding to his call and that played directly to his spiritual gifts. So that same vacation, a couple weeks ago, I was walking through Balboa Park. I'm curious, has anyone been there? Yeah, it's a beautiful park. And there's a bunch of booths on this kind of Main Street area. And one of the booths had three Muslim gentlemen standing at it. And there was a sign that said, free Qurans. Now immediately I was like, oh, God wants me to talk to them. <laughs> I knew it. It was that Holy Spirit rumbling. I was like, he wants me to talk to them. But we're exploring, we're looking at the museums. And then, of course, my friend says, hey, Ian, I'm going to go call my girlfriend. It wasn't Singles Awareness Day for him on February 14th. (laughs) So he calls, and I was like, oh, this is my time. I need to engage in my calling. So I walk up to the booth, and we get into about a half-hour discussion. I'm asking him questions about Islam. He's asking me questions about what I believe. I think he was slowly um, surprised that I knew my Bible. But we're talking, and it's great. But then behind me, a guy walks by, and he starts shouting at these Muslim men, telling them they're going to hell, telling them that they need to get out of America, that they do not belong here. That's like the sort of thing you hear about, but you don't really see much. And it was heartbreaking. But here I am talking to this guy face to face, and I'm like, don't listen to that. I'm sorry about that. That's wrong. Like, let's keep talking here. Then I see my friend get off the phone. He sits about 20 feet away, and he's praying. I know what he's doing. Like, he's praying for us. So we're talking about blood sacrifice. We're talking about assurance, right, of salvation. He keeps telling me, Allah is merciful. But all I hear is a bunch of things I have to do with complete lack of peace and assurance. So then we kind of finish up. It was a good conversation. I asked for some literature from his booth. And I told him, Jesus loves you, whether you recognize him as the son of God or not. And then we've finished, we wrapped up. Now, I don't know what will come of that, but I do know a couple of things. I knew that it was my calling, and on both sides, the general call that I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. But then a personal calling, some of my spiritual gifts involving, you know, teaching and leading. I like teaching people in that setting. And then I even think about my own weird personality. I was the kid who would tease my mom for talking to complete strangers in the grocery store. Now I'm that person. It's not, like, it's not hard for me to go talk to people. I like it. But of course, I still had that fear when I felt the prompting to go talk to that guy. It wasn't like it was completely easy, but general calling mixed with personal calling, that's what it was. And I knew I had everything I needed in Christ Jesus in that moment. So are we more engaged in our calling now than we were two months ago? Quick poll. You have permission to be honest. By a raising of hands, who has ever found church to be boring? That's fair, right? We've all been there. We all know what it's like. But you know what makes church boring? Being a spectator. 
Church is not like football. Football is both fun to watch and fun to play. Most people are just as content to sit on the sidelines and be a spectator at a football game as they would be to go out onto the field and scrimmage. But church doesn't work that way. It is boring if you are not playing. It's boring if you're not engaged. If we're bored, it's probably because instead of becoming more God-soaked, we've become more God-parched. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Have you spent time figuring out what your personal gifting and calling is? If not, we'd love for you to get on the Eagle Church app and under the More tab, you could take the spiritual gifts assessment. It's just a tool to help you figure out what might my calling be. There's so many people here who would love to help talk about that, let you test your gifts, figure out what it is. So it's a great next step if you don't know. But then for those of us who do know, like you can tell me your top three giftings, you know that you've been called to a, a place or a vocation or a ministry, like praise God for that. Yeah, like that's awesome. Engage in your calling like Archippus. But you want to know a perk of being God-soaked? You will be so engaged in your own calling, you will not have time to be jealous of other people's callings. You'll be too busy. Now I'm talking to the church people in the room. We know who we are. The ones that could recite all the books of the Bible before we were potty trained. Those church people. Sometimes us church people get jealous. We can get a little jelly. All the students just rolled their eyes like it hurts. Yeah, we get jealous. We don't always love it when other believers excel in their gifts. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, I want the calling that that guy in the blue chair has. But if we're God-soaked, we'll be engaged in our own calling. So let's not be about the comparisons. This entire passage in Colossians 4, it's painting a beautiful picture of what teamwork in the church is like. The best way to combat gifting jealousy is not to obsess over what we don't possess, but to obsess over what we do. So are we more engaged in our calling? So we're getting near the end. We're going to do a little review. Number one was, are we more? Yep, number two was, are we more? And then three, are we more? Yes. Are we more willing to suffer? Say, willing to suffer. Willing to suffer. Are we more? Yep, so number one was, are we more? Are we more? Are we more? And are we more? Colossians 4.18. I, Paul... Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul was willing to suffer. A God-soaked life involves suffering. Paul says, remember my chains. Kind of sounds like a first century guilt trip. 
don't forget, I'm in jail with real chains. But Paul isn't moping. He's not doing his Eeyore imitation. Paul was glad to suffer for Christ. And it was because, like we said early, his view of Christ was big enough to handle it. To step into suffering the way Paul did is a sign that he was God-soaked. Like, why else would you do that? What else prompts people to step into hard things, to step into uncomfortable situations? Paul knew the risk. He knew he could be put in prison. God soaked. Now, we don't suffer in the same way that Paul did. And I think our first world perspective of suffering is a little bizarre. For example, there's this thing called hashtag first world problems. Here's a few of my favorites. Phone is so new, no one makes cases for it. I tried to spread cold butter on my toast and the bread ripped. And the pizza box doesn't fit in the fridge. Hashtag first world problems. Now it's kind of funny, little scary, I wish we could say that the church in America has not fallen into the same way of thinking, but I think we all know that hashtag first world church problems is a thing. There are people, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Everything. Meanwhile, we're over here walking into beautiful buildings, grabbing a free coffee, and somehow still having trouble mustering up the courage to talk to the person next to us. I think we're confused. We've confused ourselves as Christians in America. We ask ourselves, like hypotheticals, would I be willing to stand up for persecution, or I'm sorry, to stand up for Christ if persecution ever came? Meanwhile, Most of us are unwilling to step into little daily sufferings for the sake of Jesus. One of my favorite examples of people who model so well how to operate in our culture but be willing to suffer are Bryce and Jana Langebarles. Now, I gave them a little heads up that I was going to talk about them, but they don't really know, which is way more fun for me. It's good. Bryce and Jana are aware of how God is moving, They are prayerful, they're engaged in their calling, and they are willing to suffer. So what does it look like for them? Willing to care for the least of these, for the orphans, for the widows, to partner with organizations like Safe Families, to not only be willing to do that, but then to foster and to foster to adopt, to step into nightmarish court cases, heart-wrenching scenarios, all because it's what they've been called to. And then what about time? Time is our highest commodity. It's a thing people are not willing to give up. But I know for a fact that someone like Bryce could finish up 24 hours at a firefighting shift, but if somebody wants to get up early and have a Bible study, he's like, I'm there. Like, because that's what we're about. So what is that? Like, that is Jesus radically changing and transforming people. We can't control if we experience persecution like Paul, but you bet we can control our willingness to step into types of sufferings that are unique to Christians. Might sound like a little extreme. Maybe it's a little heavier than we wanted this morning. 
know, there's this quote, and I could not get it out of my head all week, so I'm just going to say it. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who most of you would know, he was a German pastor, <clears throat> and he stood up against the Nazis, and he was caught. I believe he was hung about two weeks before the war ended. And this quote sticks with me because a college professor said it all the time, but I think it deals directly with our willingness to suffer. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a woman, he bids her to come and die. So are we more willing to suffer? It is now time for our review. We're going to make Eric proud. Number one, are we more? Number two, are we more? Number three, are we more? And number four, are we more? As you reflect on this journey we've had since February 14th, use these four questions to celebrate what God has done. Give him the glory. Express gratitude that he's met with us and that he's changing us. But if you find yourself unconvinced that you are any more God-soaked today than you were two months ago, consider what might need to change. Maybe you've been taking shortcuts and now you realize that shortcuts are becoming the long way around and you just got to get back to Jesus. Like it's so simple and we overcomplicate it, but just come back, look at him. Remember the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day. What needs to change? But, or maybe it has to do with the hat you put on when you walk into the church building on Sunday mornings. Maybe instead of being concerned about like, oh, that person was not very nice to me, and like, mm, sermon, not my favorite, mm, music too loud. Like we can be about what does God have for me? And maybe then that can be the change. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. Remember that picture of me with the kayak? Y'all are like, what is with the pastors here in their kayaks? <laughs> Eric's bringing kayaks on stage. Ian's posting kayak pics. I don't know what it is. I just like to kayak. <laughs> Here's the invitation. Until two weeks ago, I'd never gone kayaking in the Pacific. Eagle Creek, yes. The Pacific, no. <laughs> it was something new. It was something wonderful. And even though it was enticing, there were plenty of reasons I could have been unwilling. Fear, expense, rough waves ahead, forfeiting a type of control. If I'd been unwilling, life would have moved on. You know, vacation would have been good. I still would have had a good time. But I'm not going to get to see pelicans and seals and dolphins up close if I am not willing. This God-soaked life involves those same things. Risk, cost, giving up control, rough waves ahead. We guarantee that being God-soaked will put you on a collision course with those things. And if we're unwilling, we might be all right. But you're never going to get to see pelicans and seals and dolphins up close if we're not willing. If we are willing, 
we'll see those things and like so much more, so much more. We'll see things we could have never imagined. So earlier, the team introduced a new song to us. It was called Build My Life. I think sometimes it's hard to really like center yourself on Christ and worship when a song is new. We all get that. So we're going to sing through that same song again as part of our response. And I've been singing this song like hardcore the last month. It's been part of like my God-soaked journey. And there are asks in the chorus of this song. So we get to the chorus. There are things we're asking for, like requests and prayers. My hope is that these desires would truly be our desires. That we would mean what we sing. That we would use it as an invitation for God to change our hearts. So our aim is simple as we respond. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because God's soakedness starts and ends there. Aren't you please stand as we sing?